And now, welcome to The Approach with Jeremy Seaholm and Danny Finn. Welcome to The Approach. I am your host, Jeremy Seaholm. And I'm Dan Finn. What's up, man? Not much. What's going on with you? So our first ever podcast, huh? Well, first uh, on The Approach. I know you've done one in the past. I mean, this was only, what, a year in the making, maybe? Yeah, I mean, we have a really good habit of talking about things for a long period of time, and then eventually sometimes even doing those things. Sometimes. Not all the time. I get lazy. <laughs> I mean, I think we all got a lot of stuff going on. It's not like we don't have a million things on our plate. But we're very excited, and now Jeremy's very excited. We have our first guest coming in in just a short while, if you want to make that announcement. We are going to have Hall of Famer Craig Holbrook. And to me, that's just fantastic to have somebody, you know, so many stories. I think before we get too much into that, because we're going to have Craig on in a little bit, for people who are curious what the podcast is going to be like, and every week we're hoping, or most weeks we're hoping to get a different guest in, at least I found uh, there's so many stories in the in the Candleman Bowling world and working in the industry. How long have you worked in bowling? 21 years. 21 years. Um, I've only worked probably eight years here and just in bowling and hearing the stories. I think it would be great to have a collection of stories cataloged kind of in one place. Right. I mean, I'm also interested in about the bowler themselves. Like, right. See, I don't hang around with a ton of bowlers outside of bowling, you know, to get to know them. Mm-hmm. I mean, a few I do, but it's a good opportunity too to talk to somebody outside, you know, not on the lanes constantly. And um, there's some great stories about people who've been bowling for you know, 20, 30, 40 years. And some people who haven't been bowling that long, maybe they run some tournaments and things like that. We're also very open to ideas. And if people want to share their stories or be on the podcast, you know, reach out to Jeremy or myself, you know, we'll try to make something work, you know, to broaden that horizon, get as many people in here as possible. Absolutely. I mean, also, I don't know if, like, if you're, if you're running a tournament, you want to promote the tournament. Exactly. But yeah, that, I mean, that's that's basically what, what we want to do. And then towards the end of the show, we're going to do something called Spare Thoughts, where we could, where we give results for recent tournaments or... Upcoming tournaments as well. Right. Current champions, things like that. We'll get all into that later. Um, but we're going to get Craig in here very shortly. So enjoy the interview. Well, welcome, Craig. Ah, yes. In our lovely party room here. I didn't get you a cake, no. though. No, it's no okay. This, no, this is nice. I'm happy to be here. This yeah. is going to be kind of exciting. Yeah, no, we're excited to hear all your stories. Good, <laughs> bad stories. Yeah, there's quite a few out there, that's for sure. Yeah, so, yeah, we started this. You're going to be our first guest. We just wanted to spotlight bowlers that most yep. people don't get to hear or, or talk to or anything like that. Pick your brain a little bit. <laughs> sure. Now, did you did you bowl as a kid? Oh, absolutely, yes. In the kids' leagues. We had Kyle Bowling Whitman. We had 10 lanes. We had six kids on a lane on 8 o'clock on Saturday mornings. My father crazy. My, my father said that he bowled in the kids' the senior boys' league at Fairway. He said 32 lanes, six on a lane, 32 teams. And then the girls would bowl Wednesday, I think it was. I'm like, that's insane. Can you imagine... No, I mean, so my, my wife and I run the kids league here and I, I cannot imagine that. I mean, we, we had eight kids our first year here, I think six years ago, and now we have 21, 22. That was the only league that we didn't That's lose better. any bowlers because of COVID. We actually stayed the same. So the kids actually yeah. stayed with it, which is really good. 
but uh, not the numbers that, you know, we're, that people are used to. So hopefully we can keep building. We're going in the right direction, it sounds like, at least in ours. So Actually, I have two great stories from being a kid. One of them, I walked all the way home. Well, my house was about two miles from the bowling alley. I walked all the way home with my rental shoes on. <laughs> and when I got home, my mom said, guess who's going back to the bowling alley to get their shoes? <laughs> and then one time, somebody stole my bike at the bowling alley. So I had to walk oh, home. I did get it back, though. Police got it back for me. So that was nice. <laughs> That's, oh, now, now your father was a bowler, too. Yes, he was. Yeah. yeah so was Not he... great, but he loved it. And I learned a lot from him because he was like really into it. Like we talked before, the rubber balls, plastic balls, who's doing this, who's spinning this way. So it was good to, you know, bounce things off of him yeah. throughout being a kid all the way up to. So is he the one that got you into the game? I don't think so. I think it was a bunch of my friends. We just all went to do it. There was a thing to do that and street hockey were the two big things we had back then. Yeah, yeah. I, I first noticed uh, somebody had posted a picture on Candlepin Chat. It was from a tournament. It had to have been the '60s. Your father was on the list, but like the yeah. top prize was like a thousand dollars, and then the last cashing spot was five. Mm. And I'm, I'm trying to figure out like, well, here's like how the thing. Much, how much were the entries? My dad, his paycheck was one hundred and five dollars a week back then, right? In like 1961. Yeah. So a thousand dollars, wow, that's well, a lot. That, that's no, that's crazy. still big now. I mean, there's not a lot of tournaments now that pay over a thousand dollars. I mean, there's Easter no. Classic, New England Candle Pins, Outrun the Bear, uh, Worlds. Um, the, but is that? I mean, is that as far as walking out of there with a thousand dollars? Well, I mean, today? even even the doubles tournament it's yesterday, nice. Eric and I weren't far off from making a grand apiece. Right, right. But uh, yeah, but I'm sure the entry fee wasn't uh, what was it 150 hundred dollars to get in. I'm sure that wasn't the case back in 1960. No. It was probably five dollars. Five dollars. Probably sponsored heavily. I was about to say, yeah. dude, either businesses or the or the proprietor, because I know Helen used to sponsor a, a lot. Right. Like right. she'd throw in towards, she'd back people in money matches and stuff oh. like that. That people, I mean, Chucky may do that now, but I don't know. Not to break free from the conversation, but I've never had a money match in my whole life. No. No. Well, they're starting to come back. So uh, if you're there was there was a period of time where I hate to say this because I don't brag about myself, but some people wouldn't bowl me because of that and then i just never did just never thought it was a thing to do i know that was that was big what in the 80s and 90s there were 70s, money matches yeah, 70s, yeah, 70s, 70, never, 60s no. 70s 80s especially uh there was a place i don't know was it was it watertown or newton i think it was like right on the line riverside i don't know if you ever bowled there or not no that i mean that's no. that's where rosie used to bowl like you had all the, the newton area guys and stuff like that and i can somebody told me a story the big money match people five deep and there was a new kid working the counter. And Rosie was in the middle of a money match, and the kid went over the speaker and said, "Oh, Rosie, you got a phone call." Like, I guess he oh, said some some choice words in Italian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've I've heard a few. I pulled him on Channel Five, and a lot of the show he was mumbling to him to himself, "I cannot believe I'm losing to this kid." <laughs> <laughs> I've heard some uh, I've heard some fun stories about him too. Now I did notice back to Channel Five versus today. You watch. Uh, the ACST, for example, you watch those matches, you know, a guy hits a uh, big shot and his opponents, you know, fist bumping them, great shot. You don't see that as much in Channel 5 on those matches. A lot of guys kept their heads down, kept to themselves. It wasn't, as, didn't seem as congratulatory when you were bowling against those guys. It Not necessarily seemed, you, just. No, it was, it was everyone. It seemed almost like a tennis match or a real important match, like right. the, the match of the season. Right. So even if you were best friends with a guy, and even the match I had with All Star, we were best friends at the time. 
it was, I don't know, it just didn't seem right to congratulate the other guy for doing well. Yeah. You were trying to beat him, you know? Right. So, right. Yeah. It, it is a weird feeling. And, you know, I, I know there's times where, you know, you see a guy making a single and you're looking up and you're like, if he makes this shot, this could really bury me. And he, you know, if he misses, oh, you know, tough, uh, tough break, tough break. But inside you're going, oh, geez, that was a good break for me. <laughs> like, I think we all kind of feel that, even though I think we're trying to show more sportsmanship in the game today. But uh, where do you think that that changed, where people are more quick to congratulate their opponent? It might have changed at the Worlds, even. Um, when we got more friendly with the Canadians, because that used to be, I mean, they would chirp at it at us, yeah. and we would kind of yell back at them. And then, you know, they kind of beat us a few times, so we got more respect for them. Mm-hmm. So then once, once the respect came in, I think we were mutually more friendly to each other. But it, I think that's about 20 years old, though, right. that, that respecting your opponent and having fun and being friends and... Like, I, I can't even think of one bowler out there that I don't like. You know what I mean? Right, right. It's kind of the way it is. Yeah, I, I saw it more on – you see it more on Channel 50. Like 50. the old Channel 50 shows, people would start high-fiving and stuff like that. Yeah. But even even Boudreau, I think it was the Pro Series playoffs, he and I bowling each other, and he, uh, he goes, no high-fives during the match. He goes, afterwards, we're all good. He goes, no high-fives. I'm like, whatever you want. I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. But he just said – he goes, I'm not blowing you off. I'm just – Trying to stay focused yeah. or whatever, which is fine. Sense. I don't care. Like, it, I'm not offended. You know, I we, wish this generation had the shot to be able to go on Channel Five. You know, where Don Gillis treated you like a celebrity, and you felt like almost you were when you were on that show. That that's how I felt. So when I was a kid, probably you know, eight, nine, ten years old, we all love the you know, we idolize the Red Sox players, you know, Bruins players, stuff like that. But I did that too. But I also treated you guys on that level also because i mean i didn't know you guys were just normal people yeah you, you know i did the same exact thing with charlie jutris and and fran honorado and those guys oh, absolutely same thing yeah well i mean tommy olster was roger clemens to me he was like the guy he was like the best that i have ever seen it blew my mind when i went to when my first year on the pro tour he walked in the door <laughs> Like, look, look who it is. Yeah. They're like, yeah. And? Okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> and he's one of the friendliest guys you'll ever meet, too. Yeah, I've, I've met him a couple times. He made me laugh. We bowled at a teams tournament, not together, but in Canal, Canal Lanes. And it was him and, like, four house bowlers. Like, the house bowlers weren't good. And he's he just looks at me and goes, oh, I'm going to throw seven marks this string. <laughs> like, okay. He gets up and he throws eight. And he just got off the lane. And he just winked at me. I'm like, I'm like, what just happened? Just yeah. that natural. <laughs> well, that's the thing. He made it look so easy. And he had another gear that no one else had. When it was most important, when he needed it, or or when he had to come back from something, he was just amazing. He could just put the ball exactly where it needed to be. Right. Now, obviously, this is a famous match that's going around Facebook with your match against him on TV. Um, he needed a du- at least a double to get you, got the triple. Yeah. How confident were you that you had that game in hand, or were you not confident at no, all? No, I was not confident. <laughs> I was well, curious. Well, well, that's what I was going to ask. So I know, was it the ninth box? I think you, it was the two-pinner, I think. Yeah, the, the one and the three, I believe. Right. Yeah. But then like, you come off, and then you throw like nine drop, and then you throw probably one of the biggest hammers I've ever seen. The only one I think is bigger is the one Peter Flynn threw during his triple on the live show. Which mm, that was just yeah. a complete explosion. But like, so you walk off that. Like, I feel like anybody else, you'd be like, "All right, that like, they, yeah, you know, they I've need a double." This. <laughs> yeah. 
they they need a double. Like I should be good, but I feel like with him, you're walking off. Shh, I left crap. the door like, open. Like crap, he only needs a double. Yeah. And he's one guy who could just go out there and just like as soon as you he throws the first one, you go, oh crap. Yeah. Exactly. Well, there's always the story before the story. That was taped on a Tuesday. That Sunday, we bowled in a doubles tournament together. We were teammates in Walpole. And we lost in the finals to Bob Kelly and Peter Flynn. But we lost like 295 to 293. So we were both really bowling good even going into that match. So we knew we were both going to be in for something. Right. And then, of course, the lanes were fast too that day. So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's a reason that... That's been going around so much. It was such an iconic match. It was such a great nail biter. Um, yeah. I've seen it knowing the result, and I'm sitting on the edge of my chair as if I don't know what's about to happen. <laughs> so I, I went on YouTube to watch a few of his of your matches just to kind of have some sort of. If I couldn't watch all of them, I'd still be watching them. There's, there's, there's so many. Now you're 422. Like, did you have to win to have to be ranked for the live show or no? No, you didn't. No, the score only. But that's what. That's yeah, because Gillis what told me that before I left. Yeah. Did you ever make a live show or no? Yeah. That, you, that one, you did make that year? Yes. Okay. That's another story <laughs> to itself. Okay. So I tied with Al Johnson. So before the live telecast takes place, we have to bowl a one string roll off for the seating four and five. I bowl 184. Oh God. I <laughs> know. Yeah, so I'm thinking, oh, I just wasted it all. And it was at Pilgrim at the time yeah. in the summer, no air conditioning. It was really hot in there. So then I bowl him head up in the next, you know, the live telecast, the one everyone has seen, and I lose by a pin or whatever. But I think I lost like 133 to 132. So I go home with 319 for two strings, and, and I'm heading out the door. Wow. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. I wanted to go back a little bit. Like, at what point, you said you bowled in the kids' league, when did you kind of realize, I'm actually kind of good at this? Okay, I actually even have the stupid date because my mother just gave me the plaque. <laughs> it was September 27th, 1975. <laughs> Because I had my first triple strike, my first 160 game, and my first 400. And I was 14 years old. Wow. Then I said, man, this is kind of fun. <laughs> that, that's crazy. I don't think, I didn't get my first 400 till it was early 20s anyway, I think. It was something I'm, like that. I'm 34. I'll call you when I get my first. Ah, okay. <laughs> so a quick story just after that. So then I get into high school and they have intramural bowling. But I'm also playing on the basketball team. But I'm not one of the star players of the basketball team. I'm like the sixth, seventh, eighth guy. I get in for a few minutes here and there. So basketball is really not that important, but I still love it. So I go to intramural bowling on Wednesday afternoon and I don't go to free throw shooting practice. So they announce the scores in the morning. They go like Craig Holbrook, 383. Then they got teachers bowling, 287, <laughs> you know, 281. So the coach calls me into the office and he says, oh, Craig, you know, you really like bowling, huh? I go, yeah, it's just kind of a hobby. You know, I'm having fun with it. Well, guess what? You're suspended for two games for missing free throw shooting practice. <laughs> <laughs> so from back when you were coming up, there was a lot of great bowlers out there. I was having a conversation with somebody recently about, you know, having, you know, 120 average today. Everybody knows who you are, where I think you could get lost in the shuffle a lot more in the 70s and 80s. Yep. What did you how did you feel like you had to break through all those other great bowlers to become one of the top bowlers and being on Channel 5 and winning championships? Actually, I would ask them questions and try to be a sponge. Mm -hmm. You know, why do you do this? Why do you do that? In fact, Gary Carrington, who was kind of the enemy at the time, even though I never treated anybody as an enemy, I would talk to him and I was using two sixes all the time because Freddie Thompson, the owner of 
um, in East Bridgewater and Bridgewater at the time said that you could never throw a 10 stringer with two sixes. You're going to get tired. You know, you won't be able to sustain your, your form through 10 strings. So I'm like, okay. So I went with that for a long time. Then I talked to Gary Carrington and he said, you know, something like in his tone, if you don't go heavy, you got nothing. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. So when I went from two sixes to two sevens, my average went from 122 to 129 in one wow. year. Wow. So that was it. Just the extra power, the breaking up two and one. And it just worked. I didn't change a thing except the balls. The ball. Yeah. We, we've had this conversation quite a few times about, you know, when you are coming up and you're breaking into the Pro Tour, was there somebody that you kind of latched, kind of like latched onto, like that veteran? Like that, as a friend? Or, yeah. Like somebody, that, somebody that brought you in, somebody that opened the door for you, before, you know? Yeah, it probably would have been um, like the Smith brothers from Situate. He owned the lanes. In fact, Doug Smith asked me to bowl in the Pro Tour. And I said, Pro Tour? Why do I want to do that? <laughs> you know, because I was just kind of, you know, having fun, you know, being a kid. You know, when you're like 23, 24, you're still kind of dating and doing softball and you're yeah, playing a whole bunch of things. Bowling's really not number one. So he's like, well, I'll sponsor you. I'm like, okay. So I threw the Satua Bowl Away shirt on my back and I was Rookie of the Year on the Pro Tour and I just kind of went from there. And yeah, it was fun. So we've talked about with a lot of, with the talent pool not what it once was, there's a lot more doors open for people. I bowled in Exeter this year. Guy my average typically never gets in. But for somebody with a 1-0 average like myself, usually somebody needs to kind of bring you up. Like I credit, he never takes the credit for it. But Jeremy kind of vouched for me for a lot of people. Um, and that's, you know, what we were talking about is who brings people up? Like, you know, oh, that's, he's X's guy or Y's guy or something like that. Um, and you notice he's clicks in bowling. So was that the same oh. thing back then or did people no. kind of do it on their own? No, I kind of was, was on that. My dad kind of brought me into leagues too as a kid. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd be 17, 18, and he was already bowling in the big, you know, business or so men's leagues at the time. And he would just put me in on a team even when if I was 17 or 18 years old. And it just kind of, you know, you kind of make friends right. as you go. And, of course, if you're good, you make more friends. Right. So. It helps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was the thing. Like when my, my father bowled in, you know, couples leagues and stuff like that. And I started to get better than him. Like I really didn't find it until I was probably like 20, like 19 or 20. But I was 16, 17, 18. I was starting to get better than him. And then one of his teammates, like, oh, I'm going to bring you on to our Monday night league at, at Fairway. I'm like, oh, okay. Like, that's cool. And, of course, it was Reggie. Uh, so my first experience in a competitive men's league is with Reggie DeLine. <laughs> Which is an experience all to itself. Oh, my God. It, it, it's yeah, next thing I know, I, like him and Tom O'Brien are call. Oh, we're gonna we're gonna go down to Millicent. It's like six dollars all day to bowl. I'm like, do I have to? <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm good. <laughs> he was, you know what? Like, I had no issues with him. He was no. a little strange, but I mean, nice guy. For a few moments, he was really good for the game because he had his little Reggie sheet where he knew all the roll offs, what time they were for Channel yeah. Five, so you could get into one if you really wanted to travel. If, if I dig deep, I think I still have his business card. <laughs> Yeah, it was like the like the Reggie DeLine roll off sheets or whatever. They had like it was like fifty dollars lifetime, like ten dollars a month or something like that. I think I paid for the Reggie sheets. Yes, for the roll off sheets, I did. But yeah. speaking of people that you know would kind of bring you in, so like at that point when I started to get better, the old WCBC had that one twelve average minimum. Oh yeah, I couldn't wait until I got to that one twelve. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna get. I should have waited. I honestly should have. Mm. Um, no one told me not to. You know, looking back, I, I should have waited at least another year. I, and I didn't bowl bad. 
but I just feel like I learned so much in that first year. Like I could have learned a little bit more than done a little bit better. But um, yeah, Paul Willits was kind of my guy that kind of brought me in. So I, into his group, it was like him, Stu, uh, Jason Doucette, Dan Gauthier, like yeah. those, those guys. And, you know, that kind of helped me because they weren't, there was no pressure, I guess. So. Yeah. Back, back to one of your things you talked about before when there were so many good bowlers and, you know, being a 120, you were kind of like out past, you know, like the greats. My first year bowling in the Mass State Tournament was in Natick. I think it was 1979. I bowled 12.32 and I finished 95th. <laughs> that just tells you right there yeah. what was out there. No, what was, I mean, obviously that's, that's an experience I had never had a chance to do. But from what I've heard from people, her running the state tournament was basically like one of the best tournaments out there. It was great, yes. You know, everything was like just so like it had to be this way or that way or no way. Yeah. And um, I love the story. I know you know the story of Dan Murphy <laughs> saying that she threatened to shut down a tournament for a <laughs> cigarette burn. <laughs> yeah. I mean, can you imagine that like having uh, like Fred Honorado and like all these guys, all the lanes go off. All right, get out. No, yeah. <laughs> no I can't. But, but that's just how she was. Yeah, you'd bowl a shift in doubles and you'd be out at your car listening to the 1981 Celtics playing, you know, in the NBA finals against somebody, yeah. you know, because it was always June right. or whatever when they had the state tournament. Well, my actually, I think my father said he was keeping score for the state tournament when the Bruins won the cup in 70, I think it was. Uh, like everyone was packed in the TV room that they had there, like going ballistic. But also, I mean, the crowds, you'd have four or five people deep just watching. Yeah, from you know, from what I've I've heard, one of my first state tournaments up there, I bowled doubles, and Jeff Atkins and Johnny Miller were bowling in the lane beside us, and they bowled fourteen fifty, and I said, "Oh my god!" That and that record held for a while until yeah. it was beat by you know it's been beat a couple times, but only by like a pin. I was about to but say, that's an incredible John, score. Does Al Johnson have that the ten string? The ten string record for singles, yeah, fifteen twenty five, but the doubles record I think is Baker and. And either Treefall or someone is fourteen fifty two, but it went from fourteen fifty to fourteen fifty one to fourteen fifty two. It's only gone up one pin every time somebody's broken. It's funny how like you look at you know the two forty five. Jackie Ray is the guy. Yeah. You look at the two forty five and ties like that's. I can't even fathom two forty five. We have um we have bowlers all the time come in just open bowlers and they'll ask you know how do you get strikes and they ask you know I try to tell them it's a game of spares. It's not always strikes and. A perfect game's never been bowled. Two 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 245s have been bowled. Well, what's so special about that? Just, that's what it was. It's what not what's so special is why is it's like they know it's high, but they thought yeah. like there's there must be something, it's just one pin. That's all it is. Yeah. I mean, it, I still think it's insane that one of them was done with house shoes. House shoes yeah. Yeah. That, 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 <laughs> wasn't that, he wasn't supposed to bowl that day if I'm I don't think so. I think it was yeah, Ralph Sim and yeah. It was done like 30 years ago, but they just recognized it like 20 years ago. So there yeah, was like a little gap in there. Yeah, because there was another another guy, I forget, who uh, had a 240. Was it like Jerry? Jerry Montmini. Yeah. Yes, from New Hampshire. Yeah, those are those are insane numbers. I'm still waiting for a 200. I had, I had my chance. John Blaze is the last 200, right, I believe? Yeah. And Cheech that we've seen. Yeah, maybe Cheech was after that. but I think Cheech was right before that. Yeah. Cheech, was, Cheech was before that. Yeah. No, because Blaze was at... The last candle bins for cancer, right? Not the, the mixed the mixed worlds. I think but they had a I, that was a singles event before it started. 
I think yeah. Cheech's was the last in Massachusetts as he chimed in with because Blaze threw his in New Hampshire. So okay, <laughs> made, yeah. made sure we didn't forget that one. I'm not disappointed when someone gets one. I'm always happy. No, for not at I all. don't have one. I don't and, oh, and I don't think he was either. I don't think he was disappointed at all. No, no, I I had a chance. Actually, I was bowling bowling with Hawk Hallis in a Channel Fifty qualifier. I think it was. Yeah, and. I was sitting 194 in a fill in the 10th, and I cherried two. Oh, God. And, if, and of course, he's trying to be as nice as – and he knows I'm livid. <laughs> and mm. I'm, walk, I'm like pacing back and forth. He's like, oh, my God, buddy. He goes, that was great. Fantastic string. This, and I'm like, yeah, it was wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I would have said the same thing. I've never – I had 191 in a ball, and I dropped six for 197. So that was the closest I ever got. But I hit the head pin, so – it's. That- if if I hit the head pin and and gave and, yourself a chance, punch the one five, I wouldn't have been as mad about it. I mean, I just shanked it. Yeah, it's funny to bowl that well and then walk out disappointed. I mean, I'm assuming yeah. you both won your matches. <laughs> yeah, I qualified, but no, I was just, but I was I was so oh my god, I was so mad. Yeah, so you won you won rookie of the year on the pro tour, right? In '89, yep. '89, wow. Yep. Do you remember who the the first person you were paired up with? Yes, I do. Don Riley. And I even know where it was. It was at Maple Lanes in Brockton. I had no idea who he was, even though he had a lot to do with Channel 5 later on. But then I didn't know him much as a bowler. But he was really good, though, because he was on those early world teams, the Majim original teams. He had a bit of a strange delivery, didn't he? Yeah, a little soft, little righty hook. Yeah. Yeah, But he had kind of wide shoulders, so he had to kind of come around. Yeah, like it almost kind of looked like... Like he almost like went like that. It, it was it was one of those old. Um... Yeah, I he threw a righty hook though. But one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. Oh my god, he was great. Yeah, never I never had a never had a chance to to meet him. No, if if you had to pick like a favorite opponent, who who would you? A favorite opponent? Wow, it's probably Tommy. 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 Yeah, because the the threat of losing, you know, him being the ultimate competitor. You know what I mean? And the ultimate opponent, trying to beat the ultimate, I guess, is always the goal, right? So right. trying to beat him would be the thing. But I mean, I'd rather bowl my friends and have a good time and do it. But <laughs> yeah. Did you ever have somebody, I know sometimes you bowl, not necessarily you, but anybody, you bowl against somebody and you just have their number. Like, you know, when you walk on the lanes, even if they're oh. maybe a better bowler or a good bowler. Yeah, there's you can a few. Beat them. I don't want to name the names, but, but I know okay. guys that have well, my you know number. What, I was going to ask that question. If there's, yeah. is there Dave Baba has my number. <laughs> yeah, I can't beat him. Ever. There's just some guys. Yeah, there is. It might be Phil Club for you, Jeremy. <laughs> hey, yeah. it took him 16 boxes to beat me. Was it 16? I was telling yeah. that story the other day. Uh, now, you were talking about being on Channel 5 and how they treated you like a celebrity. Um, obviously, you're a scratch bowler. Have you bowled in any of the, I guess, the YouTube shows that they have now, The Palace, New England Candlepins? No, I haven't. I want to, but... I. I just haven't. No, no, no. Is that something that you'd be interested? In? Oh, I would be because all of that's fun. Yeah, you know, I love bowling, so yeah, I would do it. But just some of those are really far away. You know, like hour and a half, two right. hours to get there. So yeah. Well, we're hoping to get ours up pretty soon. Right. Might Although I, I don't, I don't know if Ryan's just going to throw in the extra five hundred bucks just yet. But yeah. But Let's I mean, see. we we were getting our prize fund up to what was the last? It was like twelve hundred, twelve hundred dollars to the winner. And you make money just by walking through the door being top 16. Yeah. So. It's great for bowlers. It really is. It, it It's the best competition, you know, a TV show or something like that. Even even a local show or anything. It's mm-hmm. just great. Yeah. Franklin TV was doing a lot with that, trying to get it spread as, to as many community channels as possible. 
and they were kicking in at what? How much were they kicking in? Eight. They they basically kicked. Actually, the last one they kicked in the the like the the winner's prize fund. Really, twelve hundred dollars. Twelve hundred dollars. Yeah. So you know, hopefully that can continue. And what I'm curious is with you know community access, can they get sponsors? Because I think that's really what the game is missing a lot right now is that outside funding. It's just we're kind of playing with our own money at this point. Yeah. <laughs> right. Because I remember they didn't renew Comcast because it was going to cost them like $150,000 to run the show for a year or something. Mm. Like, it was like something like that. Yeah. And the sponsors didn't want to didn't want any part of it, which is weird. Like, I'm so, I'm still surprised. Like, Nesson used to have a show. It's a New England sport. Why? It's gotta and be the ratings are always good. Yeah, there's got to be more to that story. Because I feel like anybody, even if you're not a bowler, if you're flipping through the channels and you see Candlepin Bowling and you live in Massachusetts, you're stopping. Yeah. So I don't really understand. There's got to be more to that story. I'm not... I, I guess so. Because, I mean, I turn on Nesson and there's there's Charlie Moore, like, fishing. Right. Or there was that Fenway like, dating game for a while. Yeah, like if you, if you, if you can put right. those on TV, like why can't you put a Canadian right. bowling show on TV? It's, yeah. it's not like you can't get like Nesson can get sponsors. I'm sorry, they can. Right. Yes. You know, especially where Fenway, you know, used to have a bowling alley underneath. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and it's local, and and Candlepins has always been in this area, and they know that too. But I wonder what happened with the Channel 56 show too, the one Bart ran there for a year, because that had a lot of money. Well, that, actually, I was gonna, I was going to bring that up because actually one of the matches I watched was your final against Lou. Oh yeah, I can't remember what was what was the pro, the prize fund for that. I think it was fifteen hundred to win. To win the whole yeah, the whole and thing. a thousand for second. But you remember they paid pretty good money in every step of the way. Right. So the final was like an additional, you know, it wasn't like big money at the end, but right. it was the same as I think the other. The other rallies were, and I, I was watching that show, and like the production value was fantastic. Yeah. Like it, they did all, they kind of tried to like modernize it. Cause, you know, like Channel Five, it was just your typical like, all right, here's the bowler, here's a little name thing here. I mean, they they added bells and whistles, they did interviews, uh, they have you like come running down the stairs, high fiving people, you know. And it was, I thought they did an excellent job with the show. It was just, was it just that one year? One year, yep. That's it. That's crazy. I'm just yeah. thinking too. Production costs must be a lot less now than it was then. I mean, everyone's got a camera now. I mean, you were talking about a 4K camera that did you get it? We're looking into getting. Yeah, I have it. Um, I was actually going to bring it for out on the bear. Right. So I mean, there's you know, Franklin TV does a I'd say a pretty good job for people that aren't bowlers and not really in the bowling community. They do a pretty good job. I think there's some things that they could do better. But you put a somebody that can consult with a bowling background in there. I mean, they put a good product out there. Yeah. And I'm sure they're not dropping $150,000 to run that show. No. So yeah. there's got to be something something out there that can rejuvenate the game. And like you were saying, Nesson, Comcast Sports, that's another one that maybe they can get behind. But like, where where would that $150,000 go? Like, is that paying like the crew uh, prize fund, I'm assuming? I remember Channel 5 had the, the cameraman were union. And they had, you know, everything had to be, you know, a certain hourly, like it had to be done between 10 a.m. and 4 p.m. because they had to pack everything up and go home. And was that why they only did three, three shows? Three shows in a day, uh, yeah, because yeah. they had to, it was a union day's <laughs> worth of work or whatever. Yeah, because I think I had asked you once, one of the weeks you subbed here was like, why sometimes they'd have you bowl in the same lane and then other times they'd have you, you know, switch. And, and I think you said it was for time purposes. Yes, it was. Yeah, because yeah. they, they wanted to last with the commercials to be an hour. Right. So some certain bowlers are faster than others. Right. So, so if, yeah, well, especially if, especially if somebody like you guys, like you and Tommy, you throwing throwing thirty balls, throwing yeah, balls. That's <laughs> you know, true. Yeah. You know, it's like all right, you know, just yeah. stay on this lane. Like you know, we need we need to buy some time. Yeah, they would tell you before the string started. 
all both your boxes on the left and then two on the right. Oh, so, so it would stay constant for one string? You, one you would, string only, yeah. Okay. And then they'd kind of reassess, I guess. They'd only do it the third. Really? The first two, they always let you go. Oh, okay. However, and then the third one, they would either slow you down or just let you keep yeah. going the same way. Yeah. Now, would that throw you off at all as a bowler? I mean, I know no. the opponent's doing the same thing, no. but because no. I know a lot of bowlers are uh, very into habits and the slight, you know, slightest variation can throw that off. So that never if a bowler you. is ever going to be in a zone where you think you're alone, like <laughs> against the world, it's it would be like something on Channel Five where you're just standing up there by yourself, right, right, knowing that this this is the thing with me, no one fans or whatever. I didn't care if if I disappointed them. It was family. Like family would watch it, and if I bowled bad, they're like, "Oh, you know, you're really not that good, are you?" <laughs> it's like family was the worst critics. Yeah. It wasn't the other people. So that, those are the people I wanted to do the best for was the family to show them that, "Oh yeah, I'm good at this." Yeah. <laughs> so, why? Why like, I leave to go bowl in two, three leagues a week? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like if I throw a bad half and I come off the lane, and Joe looks at me and goes, "Well, that half sucked." Yeah. Well, there's the infamous. <laughs> uh, he ain't getting anywhere with that one. Yeah. No, like. like <laughs> My old my old boss, I was here for a New England Candlepins roll-off, and my grandfather came down to watch. I, I had like a 112, I think it was. He comes off the lane, my, and my boss was talking to my grandfather, and he goes, what did he get? And he's like, oh, he had like a 112. He goes, that ain't getting him anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So well, I remember when you heard that, well, he's doing it wrong. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, it's true. I mean, he, I mean, he, went, to, he went to all my roll-offs and stuff right, like that. Yeah. He, it's like he knew. He's like, oh, that sucked. <laughs> oh. See, I have the opposite problem. If I bowl poorly, I go home and I'll be like, oh, I bowled bad. You know, like last, I went 504 yesterday. And my mom's like, that's not bad. And I'm like, it's, it's bad. <laughs> it's like, but, you know, but you never felt that pressure with a group of people watching you? No, not really. No. Because I, especially some of the Channel 5 shows, I treat them like a game show. Like as a kid, I grew up watching kind of game shows here and there. So I'm like, wow, this is my one chance to be on a game show. And they're going to pay me money to do this. This is awesome. <laughs> Well, I mean, at least for me anyway, I'm sure some people do. The first two boxes when you tape for TV, my heart's going like this. Tough. Like one, once you, I feel like it's once you get those first two boxes out of the way, you're like, all right, like I can, I can kind of calm down now. But okay. like, no matter how many times you do it, it's even, even just for like a YouTube show, it's like same thing. It's just like you get that little butterfly, even though there's only 15 people watching. Yeah. Um, no, the worst butterflies I've ever had were on the Channel 5 before it starts. And then once you kind of get going, it goes away, and then you're all set again. Right, and I'm, and I'm sure the crowd was fantastic, which kind of helped. Yeah, like, ease you in. Like Channel Fifty at Lita, like that, they had a pretty good crowd there too. Yeah, they did. Yeah, you know that was yeah. that was a great show. It was. They had two really good the announcers there, Morin and, and Lutsk. Those they they were really good. One of the things that I enjoy with the um, when we do New England Candlepins here, it's great to have a crowd watching the, the match. But when you have you know parents of kids you know eight lanes down and they stop bowling to come over and what's going on over here and they start watching and yeah. give them a little bit of backstory you know, you'd like to think they go home and later look it up and maybe watch some of the stuff but it's kind of cool to see people who aren't typically in that bowling community get involved in the game and have some curiosity yeah. in it yeah so it's good to see that now when, when was your when was your first worlds same year as your first pro tour or? no 87 oh um, so, you, so you went to the worlds before you joined the pro tour yes wow. um a bunch of guys went up in like the early 80s, like Steve McGinnis and Steve Popolo and Jimmy Kelly. And I was bowling in the league with them in Abington. I think I was the highest average bowler in the league, but they didn't ask me to go. And I was like, why? I wonder why they didn't ask me. So then later years go on and Jimmy Powers asked me to bowl 
like on September 20th. And you know, that was a November tournament. Right. So I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll go. So we went, yeah, 87 was my first year bowling with Maria's sub. And we've made it to the final four. So is that the only team you've bowled for? No. Okay. No, because the next year, Jimmy and Charlie Milan had a fiscal money debate. And Charlie told them, you don't have a team anymore. You're not a captain. You're gone. So 88, I didn't go. And 88 was the team, the year they were in Bangor and Peter Flynn threw 11 400s in the 11 matches he bowled. (laughs) So 89, I'm still not, like September comes around again. I'm still not on a team. So Jack Sanick and Tom Olster and Don Richmond and Billy Trefoil and Mike Morrill have a team. And somebody can't make it. Either Paul Berger or somebody can't make it. So they asked me to go. So I said, you kidding me? Yeah, I'm already packing my bags. I'm ready to go. Yeah. And we end up winning. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that was crazy. I mean, and, that, and that is an experience like no other also. Yeah. Because I, I remember my, my first year, I bowled with Winchell, Rich Clark, uh, Peter Pereira, Scott Creighton. I, we had we had a good team, and Winchell told me he goes he goes when you come back you'll you're going to be bored of everything else you do. Yeah, and, and it was the truth because I came back to my Monday night league and I'm all fired up, I'm ready to go, and and people just sitting there quiet. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, come on, let's go. It's exactly <laughs> the way I feel when I come back from bowling the leagues. Exactly. But at, th- yeah. at that point, like I. The Canadians, I mean, they weren't mean to us at all, but they were still they were still very chirpy. I mean, they're still chirpy now, but a little. Uh, it depends. Depends on who. Yeah. But yeah, it like they're standing right up behind you. You know, there was a couple times that knew they knew it was my first time. You know, get a little little bit of like whispering in my ear, and my wife was up there, and she's she's like, "That's kind of you know shitty." Like what? So just bowling. Like who cares? So yeah. if it doesn't bother you. I'm like no. And someone can fire you up, or yeah, you feel like any well, different. Well, that's the thing, and then they do that, and you get up and you throw a hammer, and then they just kind of look at you, and go. Eh. It's a good way to shut yeah. somebody up. <laughs> we ended up losing to just a bunch of jerks that year too. <laughs> it was us. Yeah, it oh, was. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it was. I bowled. I bowled opposite Billy Travers, and he threw a four bagger in my face, and Rich pulled me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They I would, did bowl with Maria's for a lot of years. Yeah. Still with them. So, yeah. Well, no, I bowled with Trefoil probably from 89 till 97. And then some of the guys started to fade away, like Jack Sanic didn't bowl much. I think Channel 5 ended in 96, right? So yeah. a few guys stopped bowling, like, really competitively after that for a while. So the team broke up. And then they asked me and Mike Kucha to come join Maria's again in 98. And we won in 98. So... <laughs> There's two times in a row where I joined a team for the first time. We ended up winning, which was crazy. No, no. What would you say is the best best team you've ever bowled on? Ever? Ever. Oh, wow. It could have been that team in 89 because Sanic was really good at the time. And Olsen was really good, obviously. Yeah. And Don Richmond was really good at the time. Don Richmond is like one of the quiet good. Yeah. Like, like he, I mean, he can be, obviously, he can be explosive, but nice just probably one of the smoothest deliveries you've ever, ever see. Like same thing with like Jackie Ray, not a, not, not a hard ball, but just nice, just smooth, consistent average 125. Yeah. Uh, no problem. And one of the nicest guys ever. Yeah, he is. Yeah. yeah. Now you said when you were coming up, you try to be a sponge, take as much information as you could. I remember uh, bowling up against you up at Exeter and I know jo- we bowled, uh, I was head to head against Josh Daly and he beat me, but he wasn't thrilled with his bowling. 
And as I was putting my shoes on, I noticed he had come to you and asked you for some tips on, on his bowling. Do you look for people that are now themselves trying to be sponges and try to give Maybe. Advice? Yeah, I always help. Yeah, I, I love cheering on my teammates and stuff. I always try to be like their best friend when we're bowling mm -hmm. together. So, I, you know, I'll never say anything bad about anyone, even an opponent. I right. really don't. But yeah, if they have questions, I love I love talking back and forth. Right. I, I bounce things with Norcross all the time, and yeah, I have a lot of fun with that. I remember thinking at the time as it was happening, I said it's really good to see. Um, you know, he's a young kid, up and you know, up and coming, if not already here. You know, he's a great, great young bowler. You know, it's easy to to for somebody that good, that young, to be full of themselves. But instead, he took a step back and said, "How can I be even better?" And I thought that was kind yeah. of cool to see. And I just didn't know if, you know, if you get a lot of that, are people asking you questions now? Do you feel like you've kind of... Maybe no, more now that I'm older, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I would never hesitate to, you know, have a conversation with someone to... Even with Josh, you know, sometimes he gets, you know, volatile, get mad and stuff. And I'll say, hey, that's okay. You can right. get mad yeah. sometimes. Right. But just make sure you reset yourself and you're good again. Right. So, yeah. We had a strong finish in the uh, Mixed Worlds, the last game there, too. So. Oh, that was incredible. <laughs> Yeah, Way to go 67 out. on the end, yeah. 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 And no, that was it. Did he, did he throw it? Was was it a double on the end? Sure. He might have went like double nine strike. He almost had like a four bag. Yeah, three. it was, and they were all crushes too. Yeah, they were. Yeah, like he yeah. he does he doesn't throw little pipply strikes. Yeah, the <laughs> head pins not usually last to fall. <laughs> no, <laughs> I had one of those at Central the other day. Did you? You had one here yesterday. I had a, it was a one percenter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, it was it was weird. Like I wasn't even close. It was it was a light. Light quarter hit, and I left like the four horsemen on the right on the right side, and the seven pin like jumped over, tripped the ten, and then fell up the ladder. I just wow, oh, God, that that I think I saw almost every leave possible the other day in that house. Yeah, yeah, and it's a fun house. Like I like those type houses. Like it's it's a cool atmosphere. Like those old timey type places. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny. Like. Freshie the whole the whole time during our match. Oh, come on, Chucky, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. That's old school bowling there, though. The scores aren't really that high, and you have to grind out the pins all the time. But that's I feel fun, like, though. But I feel like that makes you better when you go to other. It places, does make right? you better. Yes. So, I mean, I think that's why a lot of those old Central Park bowlers, like like Woodside or Stella, like all those guys, they go anywhere else, and they'll average. You know, 126, 127, no problem. Well, that's yeah. one of the issues with handicap tournaments yeah. is you have a lot of CPL guys. Uh, Wakefield one year had a lot of guys down the stretch, and we did the out on the bear handicap. Um, I think it was right after COVID, and a lot of the guys bowling out of those harder houses are getting a lot more pins. We had a group, remember the group we had out of Norwood? Yeah. That uh, two guys made the final eights, and they had like 80 averages. Oh, God, and yeah. Typically, somebody that, even in a handicap, doesn't make it that far because that tournament's such a grind to every string you got to bowl over your average but they were throwing 90s and 100s every game because they're bowling in a dungeon yeah so it's, it's been that way forever though right i mean i've bowled in tons of 560 cap tournaments and you'll find guys that are 115 in a house and you know they're 122 almost anywhere they go but right they're from a tough house so it's that's been around forever and we had that issue the we had a triples tournament here where the cap was 340 and i was forever getting messages there's no way that team's 340 if you can find an average higher than what they're telling me, go for it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, has was CPO always always like that? Always tough like that? Not super, super tough. No. No. It was, huh? it was. I would say, average. Not tough. Definitely not fast. Yeah. Because, I, mean, I mean, you look at the scores on the wall, like over the side, there's like five, six, 200 games thrown. I'm yeah. going, 
How? Yeah, we think we might have one in this house, maybe ever. If we can, I, I, like I said, I think we'll have to get in touch with uh, Tommy's wife because I think she's on Facebook. I'd love to talk to him. We had uh, we have a high score list. I think we only started at what twenty fourteen, maybe. We never had something like that. We kept here, so we started it. Uh, we yeah. I, I think we talked about it. So you got to start somewhere. We had uh, Jake Cook just through. Correct me if I'm wrong. One ninety four. Yeah, ten mark one ninety four. Yeah. Uh, Steve Reno came out and said uh, he's pretty sure Tommy Osa threw a two hundred in a pro, was it a pro it was a, it was it was a yeah it was a pro tour here yeah here he so, said yeah because he said his could be. he said his father went one eighty something and he goes right next to him Osa went two oh whatever wow and so we he, get he's something. he's pretty he's pretty sure that he did I'd love to know because I'd love to put that up there and I mean I'm sure there were well, tons of scores that were that were thrown here back in the day. So it's Jake's yeah. funny because once he heard that, every time we bring up high single, he always says unofficial because he, <laughs> oh. he knows there's probably a 200 lurking somewhere that we just don't have the there's, record. There's got to be because I mean there was there were Channel Five roll ups here, right. there were Channel Five finals here. I mean there there had to have been. Like Chief Chief came up. This is uh, probably five six years ago. He was going up to the world, so he came here to to throw a few, and he's just like, oh my god, the scores that were thrown here. I'm like, well, somebody needs to find them. Yeah, if anybody has a copy <laughs> or something, we would we would hang it. But. Uh, we just haven't been lucky enough for that. What are some of the harder houses that you've bowled in over the years? Or I think Walpole was really hard. Um, Canton was hard. It, it depends. They they go back and forth. Like Randolph was always really brutal. But then like Timberlands and Abington, it was tough. Then it was really fast. Then it was tough again. So it, it, I guess it depends on who so owns it at the time. That's what I was going to ask. If you notice houses over the years changing. Because I oh, know absolutely. Timber I bowled in recently. And I didn't think it was as hard as people had said it was, at least my opinion, I thought it was, um, it moved similar to what, I mean, my scores were similar to what I bowled here. Although I've heard Bowie can be faster and I struggle there for some reason. Mm. I don't know what it is. So maybe it's just me. Maybe <laughs> No, it can be. There are certain houses that you will like better than others because mm. of the ball you throw. Right. Yeah, so I, I was no just about to say, like whatever rotation you have or don't have or how hard you throw, I mean, it, it all makes a difference. Right. I think there are certain houses that they're, Pocket preference. Yeah. Like I know Pilgrim was left. The one, two was just gravy time. And then Natick was the opposite, one, three. In fact, yeah. Natick is the reason why I bowl from the right and throw the ball back and up. Really? Because I always bowled from the left, sort of like Peter Flynn would bowl, but I didn't throw it as hard as him. Right. But when Channel 5 moved to Natick, everybody that threw a right-handed hook ball was way more successful than the people who were coming from the side that I was on. So I'm like, what the heck can I do about that? So I moved all the way over, you know, Godwin-like, but the opposite <laughs> side, and tried flipping it back, and I started scoring there incredibly. So it worked. And then I just became a better bowler by doing that, keeping my arm down the middle more, you know, less, you know, apt to stray one way or the other. Almost every ball I threw was the same. So I became a better bowler, so I just stayed that way. Right. And I'm still that way. So I probably changed in like 88 or 89 when they moved from Sammy White's to Natick. Yeah. And then I've just been that way ever since. Now, did you did you ever make Channel 5 when it was at Sammy White's? Oh, yeah. 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 1981 was my first year that I was on. So, yeah, it was there. Yeah. And I, I never had a chance, never had a chance to bowl there. But I, I heard it was a pretty decent house. Yeah, it was nice. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's an Acura dealership. <laughs> no, it's right next to the, was it Martinetti's? Like right down, down yeah. the stretch? Yeah. A couple like doors down from the McDonald's, it's there. Yeah. Now, is there anything on your bowling bucket list that you're still waiting to check off? A tournament or a score or something that you're 
Still want to? Well, 200 would be nice, but other than that, no. No, whatever. I've been lucky to win, damn, just about everything. So I hate to say that, but well, no, yeah, but just about everything. Because I've been around for so long. I've bowled in everything 50 times, so you're bound <laughs> to win you know, here and there. Well, I mean, you're, you're a Hall of Famer. That, I mean, that says something. Yeah. Um, I mean, your high five blow, blows me away. A 781. Dude, yeah. where, where, where did you where did you? It was that Pilgrim. It was that Pilgrim? Yeah, during the state it's, tournament. It's time to throw yeah. it. I can't break 700. I still, I always have that 1-0. Like, I have three 690s, uh, and I can't, there's that one string that, that kind of gets me out of it. But, like, seven, what was your highest? Was that when you threw the 197? No. No? No. no. That was... Yeah, that was probably just a bunch of 60s and 70s in there. Yeah, there was nothing really major in there. <laughs> it was just a bunch like of 60s and 70s. <laughs> I feel yeah. like it's rare to have a high single mixed in with like a triple or a five. I always hear that it's split up somewhere. Um, yeah. That people don't typically have like their high single with a high triple or a high five. It's like they throw, you know, a high game and then finish after a one hour or something yeah. along those yeah. lines. Yeah, my, my 196, I, I finished with a 670. Yeah. The rest of my games weren't fantastic. <laughs> One of my best high fives, I bowled 761, but it was in the state term, New Hampshire State Tournament, but it was at Park Place, which is notoriously fast. Right. So Winchell on a shift before bowled 747. So he knew there was a shift to go. He showed up for that final shift to watch, and he had to watch me bowl 761 <laughs> and beat him. And he says he never forgets that to this day because that would have been his first state title or whatever. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm sure he wasn't mad. Like, how do you how do you get upset at that? You just gotta yeah. shake. You just gotta shake. You know, shrug your shoulders and go, okay. Yeah. But, Crazy. Uh, but yeah, no. I mean, you had how many? You had what was it six six WCBC championships or titles? Was it or or no, bowler, bowler the bowler, year six times? Bowler. No, four on the WCBC and two on the Pro Series. Yeah, and yeah, and bowler the year in the WCBC was not yeah. an easy thing to do. I finished second four times too. <laughs> <laughs> Before I even made the first win, I had four seconds. So I'm thinking, am I ever going to get there? Yeah. I lost to Dad Klein by two pins. I lost to Tim Lipke in the last box. And I watched that one. <laughs> so I'm thinking, I'm never going to get there. I'm never going to win. And then finally, it just broke through. Yeah. Well, I, I thought I was going to get my first Pro Tour win at Colonial at a 10-stringer. <laughs> that yeah. didn't happen either. <laughs> no, but you had to bowl well if you hit 1260-something or whatever you hit in there for the Colonial, Colonial was, was tough at the time. I had 1272. I think you had 1276. Yeah, okay. something, something like that. Yeah. All, all I knew is that I, I walked over, you were finishing your five, and I knew you just needed a mark. And I was I'm like, that's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> but that first box of that last string, I went spread eagle and I went through the hole twice. Oh, yeah. I miss 10 stringers like that. Though. I do too. I, I, I enjoy them. I really miss the old Pro Tour. I mean, I get people don't yeah. want to always do 10 stringers. But I, I think they're fun. And that it separates like the really good bowlers from like the next level down. Because the ones that can sustain those scores are 10 strings. Yeah. You know. And I use 10 strings. It would help me in the leagues like the next three weeks because you would gain your rhythm and every everything seemed to come natural after you've bowled 10. Yeah. Because you you've bowled for two and a half, three hours, you're throwing right. balls because there's only two to a lane. So by the time you come to your league, everything just seems right. Right. And I miss that. No, I, I I really miss those those Saturday night Pro Tour shifts. Those, those were a lot. Yeah. Of, a lot does the Pro Tour have a ten stringer? I think they do one. They one. do one. Okay. Yeah. Actually, I think it's at Central. Oh, it is. I think so. Oh boy, it was last year, or the two years ago. Two years ago, yeah, yeah, it was. 
Yeah, that was a shame. My my first year was kind of it was kind of like the tail end of when people started to kind of drop off. Like I think it was like Jack Ray's last year. Carrington, I, I was paired with Carrington my first tournament. That was something. That is something. Yeah. That, and you know what? He was he was nice and polite. Obviously, because I wasn't a threat, so he didn't. <laughs> he, it's like he didn't care, but yeah. he he was nothing but nice. He actually bought me a beer once. Oh really? Yeah. He's a good guy. He, well, yeah. very competitive, intense, I, but great. It was at Canal. I threw a one sixty something the last string, and I didn't get in the high the high single pool. And Dottie goes over and hands Gary the money. He goes, "Yeah, hey, what are you doing?" He goes, "Hey, he, Jeremy had a one sixty. I'm like, oh, I didn't get it. He goes, "Oh, hey, thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get a beer." It's funny, you find a lot of those guys, their intensity on the lane, and then you see them off the lane, and they're a totally different person. It's great. I like that a lot. But back in like, like the 80s, or like the worlds and stuff like that, I mean, there still had to be a lot of, we're not friends right now. Oh, there was wars. Yeah. There was no doubt about that. Like yeah. even, like, Territory wars. Like you said, like even yeah. guys, like you said, who are, are best friends out of the, like on the, off the lanes or whatever. I mean, if you're bowling head to head, they don't know you. Yeah. I wish I could have like experienced that. You just, I don't know. Some part of that competitiveness. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's part of the game that is lacking. Um, everybody's friends, which is good. But at the same time, you don't feel that I have to beat this guy. Right. Mentality. It's, you know, you know, even our summer league has, what, what do we have? Six teams, eight teams, eight teams. You know, you didn't, I didn't beat you this week. I'll get you in a couple of weeks again. Like you don't, yeah. these aren't the do or die matches that I think we had. Or that they had in the past, you know. And I think there's there's attempts to try to bring that back. I know, you know, Nico. I think is really exciting. What Freshie started. I think Chicha matches. Congratulations, by the way. I think there is some, but to bring back some rivalries, I think would be big. I saw the money matches. They're trying to bring back. I think Fuller and Winchell are now going to pull their match against McKinley and Baker. So it's exciting to see some of the rivalries maybe trying to make a comeback. And maybe the game needs that. The Friday night league is still pretty competitive. Yep. I mean, if you get 12 teams, I think seven or eight of them are good. Well, we tried to get so a team out get... here. Oh, did you? We were just, well, just outside the zone, we were told. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah that's stupid. <laughs> yeah, I know so, about that. I, I would think at this point, just take the teams you can get. Right. Yeah. I well, mean, it if, used to be like a North Shore men's right. league. So, yeah. If it's an extra 10 minutes, who cares? Yeah. Just, it's an extra team. And if I mean, you were going to try to put two just to. Keep it even. Yeah. If you can get a competitive team and they have to travel an extra 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes, like, I don't know. I feel like it's worth it. Yeah. And and I think that's a thing. You know, I know with the ACST and, and New England Candle Pins, I, we were talking about maybe, you know, or a tournament where you have roll-offs in separate houses and bring everybody in with the top bowlers. I think everybody wants to see the same thing, which is the best bowlers bowling against each other. You know, but not everybody wants to travel you know, there's a reason the ACST doesn't go all the way to Maine. Nobody wants to go to a match up in Bangor for five strings and then go home. Yeah. But if you had these divisions and then ultimately in ultimate finals that had the best bowlers from all these different regions, maybe that can bring some type of the territorial rivalries that you were talking about. Mm. Yeah. Some individual stats. I know we have, I mean, Worlds is great because it's, but it's team. We don't have that individual, yeah. I beat you anymore, really. <laughs> yeah. How do you see the competitive aspect of this game going going forward? Say, like for the next five to ten years. Competitive as far as well, just like, like team like, events or, or pro just, tour, just pro or? tours, anything. Do you see us being able to make it stronger? Do you do you think we're just kind of fighting an uphill battle? 
I don't think it's an uphill battle because a lot of people are enthusiastic, but the numbers of that of the bowlers. Right. You don't have the youth leagues that you yeah. used to have. I mean, it's good to see some of the younger kids coming up and bowling well yeah. now. Mm-hmm. Right. That's always great to see. But yeah, just the numbers, just the pure numbers. Like we would have 90 guys at a pro tour or something, and now it's only 60 right. or 50. But I'm lo- I am looking forward to the season coming up, though, because things are going to be kind of back to normal. Yeah. And yeah. Pro series is back. And yeah. That's going to be fun. I've only been involved in bowling probably five, ten years at this point. And I felt like up until 2019, I wa- it felt like things were getting – there was more bowlers in pro league, like the pro series, yeah. over the last five years in a, in a very mm-hmm. small window. Um, I you know, I saw when COVID hit, there was a few people that said that that might have been the end of their career. I know Phil Clough said that, but then I just saw him throw a 207 in duck pen, so obviously he's still bowling fine. Wow. Yeah. I think that was a little bit of a step back. Are you seeing that at all in a small window of the last five years, maybe that bowling was starting to kind of go back in the right direction? I think so, yeah. Yeah, the Pro Series bringing out the different little events instead of your boring 10-strings. I mean, even though I love 10-string events. <laughs> but to a lot of people, they're boring. So doubles, elimination of events and stuff like that, it, it changes things up a little. So it is it is kind of fun. Yeah, I kind of like those elimination ones where yeah. you you don't necessarily you're not you don't have to be one person you just kind of have to be the field. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah be, those are a great idea. I do like those. Yeah, one day we'll have a tournament like that. Yeah, where you where you bowl the field and try to stay above a certain number. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, and that I think not to to toot the horn about on the bear, but I think that was what kind of was exciting about it was there was nothing quite like that tournament. Right. Right? Have you bowled? In- I haven't no. You've not right. Uh, I wasn't sure. I didn't think you did, but um, but that was something that really wasn't supposed to take off. In fact, somebody said it wasn't going to take off. Jeremy, um, <laughs> and I think what what really I mean the prize fund is big for I mean it's a fifteen hundred dollar guaranteed top prize, and mm-hmm. then secondly I think it was something different that people hadn't bowled in before. So maybe that yeah. idea of other people coming up with new innovative ideas and formats can kind of rejuvenate the game in some way. And um, it's handicapped, right? So there's some handicap and there's some scratch. So the handicap oh, was okay. only coming up on uh, July. Originally, I, I was saying we would never run it handicapped because of all the different houses. <laughs> Originally, I had said if we were going to do handicap, it was only going to be allowed to house bowlers because I wasn't going to chase averages. And now it's the most successful format that we've done. Yeah. But the scratch, that's my favorite, even though I don't bowl in it. That's my favorite because to me, that's I want to see the best bowlers bowl. Even if I'm not on that stage, I want to watch it. I'm a fan of the game. So that one we're doing September 25th is the scratch version of that. Nice. Okay. So yeah, that that's and that's another good thing. You mentioned about you want to watch like good ball. And mm-hmm. that's another thing that like Frank and that uh, Brendan have been doing with Alley Chad. Right. Getting those old matches up. I think yeah. Channel 5 just got rid of all those tapes. They did. They yeah. just they just taped over everything. I think the only yeah. tapes they're getting are people that have the VHS tapes at home. Right. In fact, I gave my dad used to tape almost every show. Oh my God, so I gave Nick Norcross probably thirty VHS tapes that have three shows on them each. You know, so That's and they're not all me on there. They're, they're, they're yeah. just anyone who was on at the time. Yeah, because if I had known, obviously as a kid, I would have taped every show. Right. I really yeah. would have. But yeah, no. I mean, there's I mean, there's hundreds, hundreds of videos out there. Yeah. I mean, there's right. shows that I didn't know existed, like as a kid. There was a, a show what from was it Empire Lanes. I forget what the what the show was, but it was the one where Bob Kelly threw two ten, I think it was something like that against Joe Donovan. 
Oh, wow. Okay. Well, that might have been a, a pro tour thing, like end of the season okay. or maybe middle of the season. They would have like a, they would take the first five of 10 and then seed you for a TV show. I think that's what yeah. that was. I know. Was it Big Shot Bowling that was like that? They did. They did an end of the year show too. Yeah. That came from the Pro Tour. Yeah, because that was the show that was on Nesson, I think. Yeah. With Bob Foraker. It started out on Channel Twenty Seven. It that... went to Nesson after that. Yeah, it was 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 that a Thunderbird when it was on Twenty Seven? Because there was a show on a Thunderbird also. It in the last few years it was a Thunderbird Bowl in Auburn, but it started out at the State Mutual Life Insurance Building in Worcester. Oh, okay. Because I remember going in there, and. Jeez, I taped about six or eight shows in there. And that was always quite the experience because you had to go through kind of security and then you had to go down into the basement and then the lanes were there. So that, that was always fun. Now, do you think, obviously without Channel 5 and 56 and 50 being around like they were, all of a sudden there's a, all these Facebook videos going up. Um, obviously the production quality is not what it was when it was on regular TV. But do you think that that's good for the game and might spark some interest as oh, far certainly, as... certainly, yeah. I watch a lot of them. <laughs> I sit back and with the, my laptop in front of me, I got the TV on the other end, but I'm yeah. watching the laptop. I'm watching both at the same time. Yeah, because I'm a huge fan of the sport anyway. So. Yeah, I mean, we got we to gotta give Bob Lee a credit for what I mean, what he is doing. Right, right. Um, yes. Because not everyone's going to get a chance to go down to an alley and see, and see a matchup. So he, he's trying to make any, any match he can get to visible for, for the audience to watch. Yeah. I know it would put some on the bowler, but there's got to be a way that while the match is going, we can get scores. Yeah. Because oh, I know. That's the one. Yeah. Because it's all well and good when somebody holds up the score. Right. And I know sometimes like I'll comment what I just saw because if somebody jumps in later, maybe they missed what it was. But if there was some way you could almost – it doesn't have to be every box, but some right. type of update like after one. like Or after a half. After a half. Was, somebody nope. can just key in something yeah. and it stays yeah, I don't, up there. I don't know if you can do that live or not. There's got to be – I'm not, there's got to be something that, that we can come up with. Over, I mean, there's a lot of yeah. smart people in the game. I'm sure we can figure this out. Mm. <laughs> Other no. than keeping score at home. <laughs> right. And, well, and that's, for, you know, I was doing that. I know Bob Lee was calling the match, but with Jeremy's match with Eric against Freshie and Beauvert, I was keeping score at home just because, you know, I, I just, it's what I do. I'm a nerd when I'm at home and I'm trying to figure out, you know, how many did, does he need? And I'm, you know, cross my fingers because I mean, I love Bovier and I love Freshie, but obviously I go with the, my home yeah. alley guys. So that's why I stayed to the end because all the guys that were involved, I, I enjoy all you guys. So yeah, I wanted to make sure I saw it in person. That's one of the things that I can't wrap my mind around is, and I'll run the, I know not to keep beating a dead horse without running the bear, but how many people will make it to the sixth, seventh round, hang around to the eighth or ninth, and then go, well, I'll see you later. It's, it's not like traffic's going to be that bad. There's only right. like 40 people in the building. And yeah. people will leave, and they're like, oh, I was watching on my phone as I was driving home. It's, you could have just stayed for another 20 minutes. Yeah. And I think that's the more disappointing thing is that people, you know, it seemed like they're not as interested to see a finals. And, I mean, we've had some pretty, pretty good finals. So. Yeah, we have. Yeah. We're getting close to that time, and I have to go back to work <laughs> at some point. So you said Ulster was probably your favorite opponent. Did you have a favorite bowler growing up watching? Probably Peter Flynn because he was lefty like me. We threw kind of the same, even though we threw a lot harder. And he was always like two or three years older than me. Yeah. So like if I bowled on like the kids' events in the in the ten to twelves, he was in the thirteen to fifteens. Yeah. And he was like the guy anyway. So the crowds were around him. And he's like, wow, look at him, you know? And even though I'm only 11 years old, <laughs> and then I go up to the 13 to 15s, and he was in the 16 to 18. So, yeah, it would be him. Yeah. yeah. 
I just love to hear anybody's stories. Yeah. Just I tell you what, one of the most things I'm most proud of is I have a 500 in three different states. I got one in Maine, New Hampshire, and Massachusetts. <laughs> you gotta throw that in somewhere. Yeah. Back that into it. No kidding. I'm yeah. still recording, so. But all right. Well, oh, that's no, great, guys. So I've only been bowling. I didn't want to make the podcast anything about like, but I was bowling in some house league. Then I got laid off, and Jeremy said, Well, do you want to work here for a couple months? And then now I can't get rid of him. Now you can't get rid of me. But it's like running out on the bear. I love it not for any other reason. I get to meet so many people. Like I never thought I was going to yeah. get like a bowler, but it was just so I got to learn a lot today because I wasn't, I only started bowling, what, 14, 2014? Like, yeah. So it was really cool. So I appreciate Bowling it. ended up being my personal, you know, before GPS came because when I had to go to work for certain towns or whatever, oh, I know where the bowling alley is. I've been to that town. I, you know, I've been to Maine. You know, it kind of helps you learn your region. Yeah. You know, just being a bowler, getting around. Oh, when we, my wife and I go on vacation, like anywhere or just, it doesn't even have to be vacation. Like I base my directions on where a bowling alley is or used to be. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. It's like, oh, we're going up to such and such. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, the bowling alley's down this way. Or down there. I'm just going to stay straight. And just... That's so true. <laughs> See what I do. So I don't travel as much bowling wise, but I know like sometimes I'll, if we drive by and happen to drive by like Lita, you know, my wife and I, Kate, will be like, oh, you know who bowls out of that house? And we'll start like naming people yeah. and they're like, call that. Yeah. You know, sometimes like when I ask people like scratch, like what's your average and where do you bowl out? They're like, it's scratch. I'm like, I know, but I'm curious. It like doesn't do anything. Yeah. I just want to know. Yeah. <laughs> I remember working in East Brookfield and Ulster was bowling up there at the time. And he was averaging like 131. His name was on the board. So the guy behind the desk, I, I passed him a little note. I says, and I give it to him. I says, Says this is a this is a personal note from your friend that you are terrible at bowling. <laughs> so he knew it was me somehow because the guy behind the desk must have told him oh, well, back when I had red hair. He says some redheaded guy came in here and gave me this note to give to you. So he ended up calling me <laughs> in my house saying, "I know it's you. I know it's you." Well, I appreciate you coming out and doing this for yeah, us. Thank you so oh, much. Oh no, oh, this is great. Yeah. So that was a fun interview. Oh, I learned so much about the game. That might have been the first time that the under would have won on me talking 97% of the time. Oh, I knew that wasn't happening. <laughs> well, no. we thanks to Craig for coming in and doing that interview. That was fantastic. That was awesome. I had no idea that he had three 500s in three different Three different states. states. Yeah, that's fantastic. Hopefully someday I hit one of those <laughs> in one state. <laughs> so we talked about it at the beginning of the show, uh, spare thoughts. So not a lot to talk about on this, uh, this episode being the first one, but you know, I'm going to kick it off with Jeremy and what Spare Thoughts really is going to be about. Yeah. So basically, we just want to cover current events that are, that are going in the game. And, and I know that Tim Matero and Brian and Mark have, have their show, and they do all of that too. They do a fantastic job. Absolutely, they do. But we'd also like to focus a lot on a lot of our local stuff because- mm -hmm. We have spare time is doing their monthly, monthly thing. Hill. We'd we'd like to give them recent results for that. Or there's just so many things out there. You have King of the River. Um, you have uh, Masons does a monthly King of the Hill, King uh, Queen of the Hill. I know Canal does a couple tournaments out their way. I believe, as you brought up spare time. What what I think we really want to do is get a list of, of the current champions, discuss that, uh, and some of the updates that go on there. Also. Not every great accomplishment happens inside of a tournament. Sometimes your local house bowler that bowls on a Thursday night throws their very first 300 series. 
Well, I mean, last Tuesday, we had Rob Linehan through his high five. Exactly. 625. 625. And we want to hear about that. And that's what we want to broadcast. So as Jeremy just brought up, 625 from Rob Linehan, excuse me, which is his high five. I think people want to hear about that. And and if you have in your house or your league, a, somebody hits their new high triple, high single, high five, their first ever triple strike, let us know. Absolutely. We'd love to hear about all of them. I mean, and it would be nice for them you know, to hear, to hear a shout out. Right. I mean, we hear so much about, you know, the pro level bowlers and that's great. We should be celebrating the pro level bowlers, but also every little accomplishment that somebody gets, like I said, their first three, first 300 series first, whether even kids league bowling, things like that. You know, we want to hear that. We want to broadcast and we want to celebrate that. Absolutely. I mean, can you imagine, you know, you're like a, I don't want to call it like low level, but you know, you're, you're 95 to hundred average house bowler that may listen to the show. All of a sudden hears his name on the show. Exactly. I so mean, that's, that's cool. So if somebody in your league does something spectacular, it's their first time doing it, message Jeremy, message myself, we'll put it on the list and you know, we'll do our best to get it on an upcoming show on the spare thoughts segment and talking about some of the great celebra- uh, celebrations that happen in this game. Absolutely. So I think, not to put the carpet for the horse, but I think that pretty much wraps up our segment today on our first ever podcast. Yep. And we have a fun guest, a favorite for all of you for the second show. We're going to keep that a secret as well? Should we? I think we should. <sighs> Fine. <laughs> it's one that you're all going to enjoy. I, I can tell you that. Yes. We'll take guesses, though. Feel free to uh, comment below on who you think the guest is. But it's uh, somebody that if you've bowled, I think, anywhere, you would know this individual. All right. So I'm Dan Finn. I'm Jeremy. And until next time.